This is the official podcast of Elamir, where we have conversations with B2B storytellers about how they go about doing what they do. Well, I'm really excited to, to talk. I mean, I've been digging into a lot of what you guys are doing, um, and it's nice to be exciting. So I'm excited to chat with you. Um, but before we jump into Dream Data, I want to talk first about your experiences that led up to it, because I think it's really interesting. So can you talk a bit about what you were doing at Airtame? Am I pronouncing it right, Airtame? Yeah, it sounds, uh, sounds about, uh, about right. Um, yeah, well, uh, at Airtime, I joined as the um, as the first uh, marketer hire of this fifteen something uh, uh, employee company, um, and went through kind of this like somewhat classical growth journey where you go from these fifteen employees to around a hundred, and zero ad spent uh, uh, to closing in on a hundred thousand dollars every month. <laughs> At at uh, when I when I left, and when you you go through this journey, you kind of go from knowing I did uh, these couple of things, and then this happened afterwards. Yep. To I had, we spent a lot of money. I don't. I'm not completely sure what came out on the other side, and <laughs> that that's not kind of how I want to do uh, marketing. How I want to go to market. I want to do it in a somewhat predictable and meaningful yep. fashion where I can explain why I do things and what I expect uh, of it to come out of it. Yeah. And uh, I just ran into this feeling that there wasn't really any kind of thing out there that could help me understand this uh, really well. Yep. Like I would be judging my ad spend in the same month as I made it. It's even though I knew that the normal customer journey for something like this would be six or 12 months, I would still be doing the maths of whether it was a good ad spend in the same month as I made the ad spend, which, which makes no sense really. But it was really kind of the, kind of the only thing I could do. Uh, what kinds of content were you guys making? Like what was, the, what was it that you were putting out or what were the ads? What did it look like? Yeah, so we, we I think we had... I'd say two kind of uh, major marketing tactics. One was kind of paid ads. So we did a lot of content there. And then um, we also produced a lot of blog posts where we tried to answer uh, questions that the customers might be asking, but also gaming uh, what we hope would be the searches on Google that had some sort of uh, in a buying intent behind them. Yeah. I think what we we learned later on is we actually we got to uh, put in some some data into the prototype of my new now two co-founders of, of of this company was that we saw that the for those who who know a little bit about how search engines work there, there's some searches that are, there's a lot of traffic on and you can try to get that to your website that would typically be very broad searches so an example can be like running shoe. Or it could be a very narrow search, which is, which is like buy uh, a Adidas uh, Super Boost uh, version five white. And what we could clearly see inside of Dream Data, which I'm now a, a co-founder of, was that like there was a very big difference in the intention behind uh, searches and uh, 
it's a lot better to focus on the search out there, the content that will pull in people with buying intent rather than trying to go for some sort of audience who would have no clue about why yeah. our product is valuable uh, or not. Yeah, I think this idea of, of the, <clears throat> the difference between just general engagement data and then buying intent is an important distinction. Um, so can you talk about some of the shortcomings of the data that you had then um, in proving that? And then um, obviously I think at some point it'll lead into, uh, into what, what you're building now. Yeah, um, I think the, the problems are the same. <laughs> they really haven't changed too too much. Uh, so the thing is that the most tools and platforms B2B marketers use are still, uh, one would say, raked against them <laughs> because they're not, they, they're not really built to understand kind of the progression of a, of a, of a B2B customer journey where it takes a lot of time. There's a lot of session. There's a lot of people involved in them. And that goes for Google Analytics, which a lot of people have been using to rely on when it comes to understanding good or bad. But the yeah. problem with Google Analytics is that it, it's not able to, there's a lot of problems, but doesn't do well with a lot of time. Doesn't do well if there's multiple stakeholders or multiple devices. It's not uh, connected to money. In the same way, in a B2C scenario, it's really well connected to money because you have the Shopify's of the world just sending back. Somebody bought a running shoe now. But that example in B2B is kind of somebody came to your website for this piece of content and now six months went by and somebody in the CRM system moved the deal into to closed one field. Yeah. And Google Analytics has no clue about this. The same uh, with the CRM systems. They... They can capture the last session in which conversions happen. Yeah. But if there's 50 sessions leading up to that conversion, then that somebody comes in directly at the very last session. Yeah. That doesn't help you all that much. And the last thing, David, just before I finish this rant, kind of is like the ad platforms, uh, they have a problem as well because they can only tell you that they, you paid for a click with them and push somebody to your website. Yeah. And then they're pretty much in the B2B world, they're pretty much blind whatever happens after that click got sent through to to your website because they don't know how many people is involved in the deal. They don't know how much money you're gonna make on this account twelve months from now and, and so yeah. forth. So so these problems they existed uh, back in twenty seventeen, eighteen, and they they're still the landscape is pretty much the same uh, today, and that's why I'm, I'm preaching so hard to kind of help people see what they, what they don't see today and hopefully change their behavior a little bit. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. What do you think for people who, I think that idea of what they, they, uh, they probably don't know what they don't see at the, at this point, yeah. like what, what are types of data or can you, can we dig a bit more into specifically the kinds of data that, that you're hoping to be able to provide someone who, who currently doesn't even really know that that could exist or hasn't experienced that. Yeah, so I think like if we you take a, a relatively single simple example of when a demo call gets booked on a on a B two B website, for us uh, there's an average of four visits involved uh, from our user before they book. Yeah, and and the journey might look like this: like the first first visit might be somebody who you paid to come 
meaning that you clicked an ad and came to the website, but he or she doesn't convert on your website. Yeah. Then the next time they she he or she comes to your website, they come from an organic search. Yeah. Still doesn't convert. And then the third and fourth time they come to the website, they type in start typing in your name in the browser and it sticks there and they just click enter. Yeah. And then the CRM system will capture that somebody came in directly and booked a demo. But for us marketers, this leaves us without proof that there was actually a more holistic customer journey here that like things doesn't come up magically out of nowhere. There's yeah. kind of, there's a cause and effect. So you do something and then you make money. Yeah. And when these things are not, you know, joined into the same picture, then you have cost, which is what the CFO sees spend a shitload of money on writers and ad platforms and stuff like that. Yeah. But where's my proof that this was a good idea? So marketers start becoming uh, something that looks like cost rather than what should actually be an investment in your company's uh, future revenue. Yeah, it's really interesting. And what do you think this podcast obviously is a, is is about, you know, storytelling in a lot of ways. And I think um, I'm always interested in uh, the kind of data storytelling relationship. Um, I think there's there's uh, a lot of ways they reinforce each other, but there's also ways that you know even even when you have better and better data, there's still it still falls short at times. So I'm curious, like for a storyteller, for content marketer who's who's crafting stories on behalf of a company, like what what, what do you what do you see this helping with or, or where does it fall short? Like, what does this type of data allow them to do from a storytelling perspective? Um, so it gives them, you can say that's sort of a revenue feedback loop. So it means that they do their work, but then their work then yields into pipeline and revenue at some point. Yeah. If they've then written, let's say, 50 or 100 articles, there's going to be outliers that did not impact revenue at all. And then there's going to be outliers that actually had a significant impact on your business's revenue. Yeah. And you want that feedback loop of, hey, when we do this type of content, it has a positive effect on our pipeline and our, our revenue. And this other bucket of content practically didn't impact anything, but we spent weeks and weeks on producing it. So... Next quarter, we're skipping that type of content and we're focusing on this, this other type of content. So that, that is the kind of the one component. The other one is the, the, the captain hindsight of, of content. So when you, when you actually win a deal, you can bring it up and say congrats to the salesperson that they won the deal. But you also then have the narrative available that, it, hey, it actually started with us, uh, with this article we made about how it is we do X, Y, C, and then they went on to join this webinar, and then they went on to watch this video on this website, and then then they became a demo call, and then they bought our product. So this kind of one thing is giving them proof that what they do is valuable, meaning revenue, and the other thing is once you win stuff, what content actually impacted that uh, that win? Yeah, that's interesting. Out of curiosity, do you? I'm not sure if you you would engage with this or not, but do you see do you see types of content that you're in the data from your customers or in learning from your customers that is working particularly well right now, or types of whether it's like blog posts or how to write a blog post? I don't know if you have a general sense of 
content that's just working well. Yeah, that there is uh, a couple of things that comes to mind. There, there's two components. So there is the the traffic you pull from Google, like a search engine article. Yeah, those articles you always want to focus on high intent behavior. So instead of going for writing running shoe, you really want to be writing a running shoe with this particular purpose from this brand and translate that into whatever you do in your B2B. But you have to be specific uh, about what it's about and not be very broad because there's no buying intention in it. Yep. Then uh, we at Dream Data, we have this function of doing content analytics on the deals that you've won. Yep. And what is being disclosed there is that there's a, a bunch of low traffic pages on your website that buyers actually care a lot about when they make decisions about buying, when they're doing like a due diligence of you as a company. Hmm. And that would be the kind of, it would be like, you can probably come up with the pages, but I'll, I'll tell them to you now, but it's kind of, the about page matters when you make a decision about whether to buy from somebody. Like yeah. if you have a community, that matters. Yeah. If you have integrations to the right technology, because we track every single session and every single URL and glue every user to an account, then we can look backwards when the deal was won, what right. pages they look at uh, as they made a buying decision. And it is those kind of pages that are low traffic, so they're very often neglected. But yeah. it's actually pages that you would look at when you're like, I don't know, like if you're deciding upon whether can we trust this David guy's video company, then they probably browse a lot of the, the pages on your website. Yep. And what you can use that for is to make sure that these are always completely up to date and yep. maybe there's more content like the one you have already that you can make more out of. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. The one you you made like, because because what it allows is for people to, like, I just relate it to how me, how I think about content data, particularly with the website. And then um, a lot of our customers, I'm sure, do the same thing. It allows the, it allows people to know, like, hey, even though we have a sh small amount of traffic here, it's worth investing the resources in because these are all buyers. Like, people aren't mm. coming here unless they're thinking about buying, exactly. um, which is valuable. And in, I think it's interesting for me too, because like from a video, like when we, when we make video stories, you know, when we create videos, the, the thing we're always pushing people to do is to be more and more specific with the content because it's, it's tempting to make like a general brand video, but it's actually really kind of useless in a lot of ways in a B2B journey because people get the idea of who you are, like right away and then everything else is what sells them on it and so it's like you kind of have to pick a piece and do that really really well and i think it's interesting <clears throat> having the data that you have it's like it helps break down kind of where to make that investment which is interesting i think you're right david also and like with this explosion of ai there's going to be a like a like a like if there wasn't already too much generic content out there on the internet, it's gonna but it's gonna completely explode. So I think that's big for getting like boutique agencies like your own to produce like really high quality specific stuff yeah. that an AI couldn't come up with. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's gonna be convincing. Yeah, totally. In totally, the yeah. I I think AI we the AI that interests me the most and I find 
really compelling are um, ones that, because we want to use anything that's out there. And so I'm always looking like I, I want to use it and I want to put figure out ways to use it. And I think yeah. if, like if, um, if it helps, then you should use it. And I'm really interested to see, because I think you're right. I think there's going to be so much generic content. I think the, the, um, where it's super helpful, I think is in specific processes. Like if you know how to, if you already have a kind of a built out process and you can save a lot of time by plugging in AI to it. Um, yeah. But it's interesting because a lot of, as a storyteller, it's kind of funny because a lot of these AI machines, particularly the video, aren't made by filmmakers. They're made by like techies. Um, mm -hmm. And it's obvious, like I can tell, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's interesting. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I think it's coming. And I think um, I tried to make it. I, I've, I've, I can I can sense that this is extremely powerful. So I've I've tried saving. I've saved ChatGPT, so it's like part of my browser bar now. So I like remember it more and yeah. like I continuously try to find more use cases for it. So I yeah. think I'm just my fear is that if I don't utilize it, I'm gonna be overtaken by the the marketers out there who actually do use it to kind of reinforce right. their own uh, in own skills. Yeah, totally. It, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I know a lot of people who use it for just your like getting started with projects. So yeah. like they'll, they'll they'll use it as we call it an eighty twenty, where it's like you know you know the concept. It's just like you do you know the bulk of the work in a short amount of time, yeah. and I think it's it's pretty good at that. You know, it can do a really good job. Um, it's, it's interesting in B2B because like the, the challenges for a marketer are so specific that I've found it doesn't really know yet all of the nuances that need to be in there. And so there's always that like human going, all right, let me tell you really what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting. So I don't know. I don't know where it goes. Um, <laughs> who knows? Well, I don't think anybody does uh, so far. <laughs> yeah, anybody who says so is is full of it. Um, so I'm curious for you, like uh, as a as a marketer, like and a person more at a personal level, like like what what why start this company? You know, like what what is the like driving passion behind starting something like this? Because you could just you know go back to being a marketer and not and not be a founder of a company yeah it's a good question david i've, I've thought about it a couple of times of course yeah. um i think one is that i want to put myself in a position where i'm always as, as good as i can learning new stuff and yeah. uh and challenging myself and like by style well, like that one component is that if i, I started a company um I've been in a ton of situations where I've never been before. And that's kind of like almost on a daily basis. I, I try new stuff. Yeah. Whereas I had assumed another uh, marketing leader, marketing head uh, job. Then I was somewhat being asked to repeat the same thing, uh, which I've done a couple of times in the past already. So that's kind of adventurous, uh, like forcing myself to learn new stuff. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a position I wanted to be yeah, in. Totally. And then I've always lo loved the kind of uh, like the creative process of like before we were here there were nothing and now there's uh, another something. Uh, so I, I like I like building stuff rather than just repeating uh, 
like repetitive, like repetitive, doing repetitive uh, stuff. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can relate a lot to that for sure. It is kind of amazing when you when you start from nothing and then suddenly there's something there and everybody can relate to, like everybody engages with like people people have jobs now and and like there's a whole thing happening yeah we we start seeing uh like dream that i mentioned on requirements on jobs as well so that's yeah, kind yeah. of okay for, now it's at least uh, something for uh, for a few people that <laughs> that, right. that product is valuable for yeah that's interesting do you I'm curious, like, as putting your founder hat on, like, when you tell stories as part of growing your business, um, how do you go about doing that? It's kind of a hard question, but there's so much storytelling in mm -hmm. growing a business. Um, and I'm curious if you've, if you've thought specifically about, like, or it just kind of comes naturally to you, but you know, how do you approach telling the story? I think storytelling is super key when you're starting, like when you're running a business, because if there's no storytelling, it's all going to be like one big feature comparison. And that, and that, in that game, the, like the largest, or in most cases, then the largest fish win. Yeah. But, and that I think storytelling and this new discipline, uh, well, what people call positioning and category creation and stuff yeah, like yeah. that, you need to have kind of an understanding of who are we in this world and why are we are at the right, uh, the compelling choice for you in the situation you're in. Yeah. Whereas if you just go in super dry and say, here's the stats of how like, or here's the features of what we do, uh, yeah. please choose us. Then the other company that then position their story against what you're saying, that they will say, oh, they do X, Y, C, but we do this, and that's a lot more valuable for you. <laughs> so I think then the storytelling is uh, very much a key discipline. Um, I think where where it can be a big challenge, uh, or at least when I think about it, is that at least for a product like us, there's a, a lot of different personas that we need to cater to. Like there's the paid marketers, there's content marketers, there's the yep. revenue ops people, there's the investors, there's the mom and dad. And yeah. kind of each story needs to be uh, totally. curated to towards uh, them. And how do you navigate the the story then when there's so many yep. different stories to tell? And I think one thing you also need to do is you have to realize you can't be everything for everybody, even though you... Because if you end up like in between all those five personas that just described, then if you just if you want to if you make us one story that fits all, then it's gonna mean nothing to any of them because yeah. it's either too advanced or too simple. Yeah. So yeah. It, I think it's, it's super hard to navigate that landscape. Uh, totally. Of many different personas, many stories to tell, and you need to take a stand as, as well. So the story of what you do also travels throughout the uh, the internet. Yeah. Exactly. I think. One thing I always try to remind people too is it's not even just those five personas when it's, it's like their spouses and their friends and their, their mentors, you know, like mm -hmm. people, people, every person has a community of people that help them with decision and, and yeah. those people you're telling a story to as well. So it is really important 
to recognize that. And like you said, the challenge becomes like, okay, you know, how do you, how do you craft it in a way that, you know, embraces the fact that not just this one person is going to mm. engage with it. But the flip side of it is that it can't be too generic, like you said. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of paradoxical, but in a weird way, the more specific a story is, the easier it is for multiple people to understand. So it's almost better to like, remember that everyone's there and then forget they're all there and speak directly to the one person in front of you and then let it, let it live, live beyond that on its sort of yeah. ordeal. It's, it's, it's super hard and it's kind of, it's not this, it's not so much kind of a, a, it's like a black and white or like zero or yeah. one answer you get because exactly. you probably never get the feedback that you decided upon the right, the right story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you need to live off that qualitative feedback you do get here and uh, here and there. Yeah. I don't know how you kind of evaluate, David, in your company, whether the story you're telling is, is good or bad yeah, it's it's something we are always trying to get, and it's very hard to find. Um, yeah, that feedback on on a story. I mean, stories are weird because, like, we as people are very good at consuming stories. Like, we know we we know a good story when we see it. Like, we right. it moves us. You know, it's exciting. It's like tragic or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's really hard to build them. And so it's by its nature, it's a very strange, it's very hard to track. It's very kind of magical in a way because, mm. you know, most people who engage with a story do it. There's not really data there. It's, it's a very emotional connection. And so we, I think one way we try to do it is, is data, honestly, just we'll put certain storage structures and story arcs against other ones yeah. with a customer who's doing a lot of videos with us and we can see for them kind of what stories are working and what stories aren't you know i don't know how much we can learn beyond them in that situation but uh i think there's a there's a couple of these classic uh story frameworks like the hero's yeah. journey and there's yeah. a uh, you probably know them better than me that you can like framework for a story if you search the internet you'll probably find some of them that you can consider totally. in your in your narratives yeah yeah there definitely are we use a few of them for sure and they're really useful i like to use there's one that i was taught in a in a writing course um when i was doing the screenwriting taking a screenwriting yeah. course that the professor who was a mentor of mine called the narrative sentence um and it's it's just a framework for um <clears throat> storytelling in movies um yeah and kind of how it, how it works, you know? And I think it's that I can pull it up. Honestly, I'll just read it to you. It's, yeah. it's, um, it's a really useful starting point, I think, cause it, it gives a structure, um, that you can, you know, change, uh, if you want, but it's, it's really mm -hmm. useful. So the, the sentence goes, or the structure, it's a couple sentences. It goes, a protagonist who is currently experiencing normalcy experiences a disturbance they respond which is their response but it all turns around when some surprise comes and then complications ensue which build in, in intensity and they're resolved when the protagonist forces them to resolve which is your climax 
And then there's some meaning and there's loose ends that are wrapped up, mm. which is your ultimate meaning, meaning in your falling action. And so there's a lot in that, but I think it's a really useful um, way to conceptualize like, okay, you have a million different ways to structure something yeah. and you can fit, you know, you can fit pieces of, of what you're trying to say into that structure so that it's something that's very familiar to people and they can a week later, they're like, oh yeah, that's that company that ran into this problem. And now they're trying to solve this problem. I know yeah. what they're, I know what they're trying to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's like, when you're starting out for school, like that goes for a lot of disciplines. Like there yeah. is people who've been going at this problem before. So, so, so trying to find a good framework for, for yeah. storytelling before you kind of try to re reinvent the, the wheel yourself. Totally. Yeah. I think the, um, the thing that's interesting for me about, um, about doing, doing this work now with a ton of different companies is, uh, you know, realizing a lot of people just haven't done that work. They just don't really know some yeah. basic structures with stories. And I mean, part of it, it's hard. It's, it's kind of a hard skill. You know, you have to kind of like practice it and do it a lot. Um, but, but I don't like most storytelling isn't like super magical in the sense that like, it's just comes out of nowhere. And like, there are tried and true methods and tried and true things you should be doing. Um, you can break them, but you know, be careful if you break them because it might mm. not work. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, uh, there is like totally, um, repeatable tasks inside of story time that people should be doing. And I think, you know, it's just for one reason or another, they just don't, you know, it's interesting. Um, cool. So, all right, down the line, like, uh, 10 years from now or five years from now, what is, what is the vision with dream data? Like, what, what are you guys going to be doing? I think uh, I think there's um, I think there's two components that matters a a lot for us. Yeah. One thing is that we built an extremely uh, great product that that customers absolutely love and will have on the f on precision one as the tools that they can't live without. Yep. If we succeed with that, uh, I'm very, very sure that we'll build a very uh, big and uh, and valuable company for for everybody who who's part of that uh, that yeah. journey. The other component is that I I care really deeply about uh, our workplace being a place that you really like uh, to come to, that you feel safe there, that you have fun time, that you learn stuff, that you achieve stuff. So it's kind of we want to achieve with that super great product, but we also want it to be a place where people will say that I love getting up in the morning and getting to the, my job because uh, my coworkers are great. I learn stuff, I achieve stuff, and it, when when they have to leave again three, five years later, they've become a lot better and they're much more attractive than that than they were before. Yeah. It's kind of just like succeeding on the micro personal level and then succeeding on the the business front. I think that's how we we think about it. That's really cool. Yeah, I love that about the workplace. I think it's really important for a lot of reasons. It's an important thing. The world is crazy and it's easy to get stressed and, you know, watch the glasses half full uh, with everything yeah. going on. But at least in that microcosmos of the, the eight hours a day you're at work, maybe we can control it for being a great experience, okay. uh, some, some of the better hours of your day and, yeah, and, yeah. and years. Yeah, totally. I feel like that's a really good, uh, good ending point there. 
a good thought to end on. Um, cool. Well, is there anything else you want to add about about data, about storytelling? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, probably if it sounds too good to be true, it, it, it probably <laughs> is not true. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, many times in my career, I've kind of, you know, like at least early in my career, I got too sales, too, uh, too happy about numbers. And like, even though there was this lurking thought that this can't be true. <laughs> yeah. I still celebrated the as wins and the, like these days I double and triple check things before I uh, hard go to hardcore yeah, celebrate yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't celebrate. That's, that's my way of dealing with it. I, didn't, <laughs> I just, <laughs> right, so. but I think, uh, I would also like for 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 storytelling out there. Start with the story and then find the data, rather than yeah. kill kill your story because you can't find any data that uh, yeah. that breaks it up. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I like that. Cool. Well, thank you for your time. This has been great. And likewise, David, I enjoyed the uh, the conversation.